welcome to Full Focus. In this podcast, I sat down with former NBC Entertainment Creative Director and former TLC VP of Production, Chris Sloan. We discussed the origins and current state of reality TV and the future of content in an increasingly diversified distribution sphere with more and more OTT channels joining the frenzy. Where's this all leading to? We're going in three, two, one, Full Focus. Chris, thank you so much for being on Full Focus, joining me on this podcast today. And, you know, I was researching you and you had a very interesting career uh, up until to this point. And we're going to get into all of that. Um, but, I, you know, I also looked up where you're from originally. And you're from a, 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 a city called Norman, Oklahoma, which is like a s- suburb of Oklahoma City. Yeah. Um, it's a small town, but yet it's the third largest uh, city in, in Oklahoma. Wow, I'm impressed. I didn't even know that. <laughs> I knew that because I, I looked it up. It's over 110,000 people live there, I think, uh, which is still relatively small. But tell me a little bit about that. How was it growing up in, in Norman? Well, I mean, Norman is a, uh, we always joke that we knew we were finally had arrived there because there's a water tower. So a lot of people just thought it was a, there wasn't a lot of people there. So they thought, oh, okay, there's the water tower. It's a water tower named Norman, but they wouldn't necessarily think it was a town. But right. truthfully, what Norman's famous for is you might be familiar with the football team, the Oklahoma Sooners. Mm-hmm. So the University of Oklahoma is in Norman, and uh, I'm still not sure how we were kidnapped and <laughs> landed and grew up and born and raised in Norman and Oklahoma, but uh, Oklahoma's pretty awesome, yeah. even though the license plates just say Oklahoma's okay. What's the entertainment industry like there? I mean, how did you even get interested in wanting to pursue this line of business? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. There wasn't a lot to do but watch TV. Uh, I just, I was always fascinated by television. My uh, stepmother at the time uh, ran production for the public television network, I think. And I remember maybe when I was very young, um, I have a very vague memory of kind of going to visit the TV station. Mm-hmm. And I just became enamored with TV and TV stations to to the point of uh, building model TV stations out of Legos and programming my own schedules. My first job in television was in Norman mm. um, for the community access uh, when I was like 12 or 13 years old for the right. city council meetings. Okay. And, and I was directing. It was Exciting. cool because yeah. half the city council people would fall asleep because it was so boring. <laughs> and so you'd, of course, make sure you put that punch those cameras up on the air. And they'd right. be like, when I'm sleeping, you're not supposed to put me on the air. <laughs> um, but when I was... Uh, 14, I started working at the NBC affiliate running camera for the morning news mm-hmm. uh, before school. And then uh, my first job that lasted a long time was being a producer or camera person at a uh, show that's still uh, that's on to this day. Mm. Um, but yes, there's actually real production in Oklahoma. I mean, The Watchmen, the series on HBO is set there. People diss Oklahoma, but I'm I, people be surprised at how many talented people there are mm-hmm. there. So how did you then... What was your breakthrough? Like, when did you make the move and then get your first big gig, I guess? Well, I think you have to kind of zoom in on your specialty. And the thing I was obsessed with was editing and engineering and uh, became an editor and a writer on this fishing show, again, that's still on, called the Jimmy Houston Outdoor Show. Became really obsessed uh, with editing in nature and then visual effects and design. And uh, But what I really wanted to do was run a network. And it's kind of hard to run a network um, if you're just an editor and I would take freelance my vacations and go to Los Angeles and freelance as an editor at NBC and, uh, working at NBC was my dream. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and after a short time, I was like, as much as I love Miami, I've got to go try this. They offered me a job to go work for the promo department. Right. And, uh, 
that was the big break because at that point I was like, huh, instead of just editing, can I write these promos and can I uh, make my own graphics and just produce my own? They're like, well, you're a union editor. Not really. If you want to do it in the middle of the night, you can. Right. But they let me do it and uh, didn't know what I was doing. I was like 21, yeah. did, had no idea what, barely what a promo was. And uh, my first promo ever, ever was for a show called Laughing, which was big in the 60s and 70s. It was a big anniversary special and it aired in the Super Bowl. My first promo aired in the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, my career has gone downhill since then because I've never had uh, anything <laughs> ever promo. produced. My company produced a spot that aired in the Super Bowl right. a few years ago. But me personally, my first and last promo uh, ever was Super Bowl. So it's deteriorated since then. That's a pretty big audience there for you at the, at the Super Bowl. And so you wrote and edited your own work at that time? Yeah, that was the difference. Now, now they have these phrases uh, called your predator, producer editor. And back in those days... Uh, Every edit suite looked like this control room with big tape machines, and you had to have pretty much an engineering background and be very, very technical. It wasn't in the age of Avid and desktop mm -hmm. video. Um, so the idea of trying to do both was unique. Now most producers in the marketing promotion world are, are, are predators. Um, you can't, mm -hmm. you know, you have to have multi-skills. Back then it was kind of unusual. So you're the original predator. Well, I'm sure I'm sure there was somebody before me, but I certainly was a, I, one of the originals. I th I would say at a network, right. you know, if you're at a local station, mm -hmm. um, which is a wonderful trading place. And I was a predator producer editor at at, at many jobs, mm -hmm. but at a, at a at a national network, I I think I was one of the first predators. Right. It's it's really if you want to make it in this business, it's. It's, it's imperative that you have all these different skills, writing, producing, directing, editing, uh, just having all this information on how to do all these different little things. I mean, how important is that, do you think, today? Is, are we still in an age today where you can say, you know what, I'm only an editor, I'm only a producer, I'm only a director? Is that, is that something that's maybe fading out a little bit? I, I think you're right. Um I mean, still specialization means something at, at the very, very highest level. If you're a trailer editor in Hollywood, those guys can make three hundred fifty to $500,000 a year because they're just such specialists and ultra-high level. Or if you're an incredibly high-level DP or a design compositor, if you're extremely high-level um, you know, and a true specialist – the highest echelon of your craft, you know, it doesn't, you don't maybe need to know After Effects or Pro Tools or, mm -hmm. or how to, mm -hmm. you know, use a, a, an Alexa. Mm -hmm. um, but increasingly as video has become, I always say like MIDI, it's become democratized where, you know, YouTube, you can create your own mm -hmm. or what you're doing here. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's much better to have multiple skills, but the skills aren't just technical. The skills that really matter are the idea to know how to relate to people to understand relationships, to know how to build confidence. The soft skills, mm -hmm. I still think, are even more important than the technical skills. You, you went on to hold some high-level executive positions along the way at USA, at TLC. You were head of, I think, VP of, uh, of production at, at, at TLC, right? Um, uh, worked at, at creative director. You're like a human LinkedIn, man. No, I, you're I, impressive. I, yeah, but I just, yeah, I just read it. Yeah, give me 72 hours. I'll forget all of this. Okay. But <laughs> right now it's in my mind. Uh, you're also the creative director at N NBC Entertainment. Um, you know, what, what does it take to come up with ideas or, or recognize ideas that will resonate with an audience? Like, what do you look for? Um, 
You know, you're asking for, I think, people's most important commodity, and it's not money, it's time. And people are bombarded all the, all the time with messages. And you're like, you know, how can I stand out? So we really try to drill down and think about what is the unique premise here? What is something that's going to grab you? And different things are going to grab different people. So in a given series, you've got to think about who's using that platform, whether it's Instagram or whether it's Snap or whether it's mm-hmm. broadcast, who's using that? And then really tailoring the message to... Um, you know, it used to be demographics, right? But now you're literally ta- mm-hmm. ta- tailoring it to almost specific individuals, you know? Um, well, the fact that there's, for a, a Netflix series, there may be 40 pieces of just individual art, and it's served up differently depending on who the algorithm right. say is watching right. it. That's a huge difference. No, for sure. <laughs> but And when you're, let's say you are TL, uh, at TLC, and, and there's a show like Trading Spaces, I think that one of the shows that you were involved with in, at the very early stages. Yeah, I joined uh, TLC right after that show mm-hmm. had launched, and it was a, a kind of an accident, and it became this incredible machine, and it inspired an entire movement, including maybe one of your series here. What do you mean it was an accident? Well, it was a, uh, you know, as, uh, as I recall... Um, it was a British format mm-hmm. and they, uh, as an experiment, they, it's a very inexpensive show. And so they tried five episodes and they placed them all in the afternoon at like four o'clock. Mm-hmm. It was a very simple premise. It's like 24 hours, $3,000, you know, um, and you're going to, you know, you're going to, you know, basically do a room swap, really simple or, and I mean, incredibly inexpensive and, mm-hmm. They just put the show on there, not even in prime time, just the middle of their daytime block, and it just blew up. And that's often what happens is you put all these m- money and energy behind mm-hmm. something, but it's the accidents that you don't expect. And that show became a frigging phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, if you remember back 15 years ago, it was massive. Mm-hmm. And um, and I say the only thing that killed it was uh, kind of redefine it was extreme home makeover i'll never forget we were we had just done the hundred thousand dollar live trading spaces and we thought that was a big deal Mm -hmm. it was the highest rated cable entertainment program of the year and the next week abc introduces extreme home makeover and all of a sudden now they're doing a million dollar makeover our little live show yeah Yeah. and so this kind of went on for a few more years but it spawned so many Mm spinoffs but again it was a it was a it's it was a tiny little show and you know you look at what that show that show at the time cost it's interesting. Those designers only made, like, as I recall, like $3,000 an episode, and it would take them two to three days to shoot, plus travel, mm-hmm. plus all the prep of the project, and the series budget by that, at the, which uh, pretty low, it was like maybe $125,000. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for what that show cost and the repeat value, I mean, it was $125,000 mm-hmm. all in, mm-hmm. and the revenue it was generating for the network was massive. So that's what happens now is, like, you see a show like House Hunters, mm-hmm. which maybe costs, I don't know, $150,000 an episode maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't work there, but I would imagine. Mm-hmm. And it generates four times the audience of some gigantic scripted show that right. costs four or five million right. an episode. So that's why the, it, it kind of fed this reality boom. And that's, you know, you look at these networks like HGTV, they're a top five network, and it's all inexpensive mm-hmm. programming. When you're asking the new generation, is that you look at the amount of views and the amount of popularity of YouTube shows that look like they were produced out of somebody's basement for five dollars yeah. because they are, yeah. and yeah. their popularity yeah. and their stickiness and their engagement is beyond 
shows that are that cost millions and millions of dollars. It's just all changed. The, the boom and explosion of reality TV was really because of the 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 inexpensive way of producing something like that, and people wanting to see it. They they love that, right? So networks and and they're like, like give us more of of this. And it was a marketing dream, right? I mean, it's like. We're now in almost the joke in broadcast is like, except for uh, The Masked Singer. I mean, that's the only new breakout mm. reality show since 2011, which was The Voice. Now, mm. when reality, when I joined, I started in reality um, around 2000, just at the launch of Survivor. And you remember every reality show was like a crazy, like Joe Millionaire mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or Amazing Race. or I mean, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette is strong. Most reality shows that are on today are like, have been on their legacy, 15 years, 30 years, right. seasons of Survivor. But right. back then it was like a show called Mr. Personality where everybody would be behind a mask mm-hmm. or people competing for somebody's will or mm-hmm. it was every idea was more outrageous, The Apprentice, mm-hmm. than the, and it was new and fresh. And then they mm-hmm. became kind of parodies themselves and it's now become about premium scripted drama. So it, TV is cyclical. Right. It just changes. And But reality was, yeah, you're right, it was and even though it got expensive, I mean, Survivor, when I worked on Survivor, Survivor, it was over a million dollars an episode, but still compared to $3 million for a show that was doing half the, or a third of the rating, it was a great deal. Right. And, and we're not even talking about, let's say, some of the housewife franchises or the Kardashians where you literally like you have an outline and you have a scenario, you throw up some lights, you have a few cameras going and you shoot a scene and... and you know, who cares if it's blown out in the background a little bit? You know, it's just real because it's reality. And that's even less expensive than your survivors. I mean, those shows, I mean, at this point, they put a lot of production value behind it. But you're right. I mean, and but now, just like you look at what's being produced on YouTube and what can be produced with uh, incredibly smaller footprint and and an incredibly small budget, and it still resonates because of just what you said. It looks real and authentic and curated, and some of this stuff is becoming so overly produced that people look at it and, A, they don't believe it's real, or they just mm-hmm. accept that it's kind of a joke. Right. The funny, I think the interesting, <clears throat> most ex- the earliest example I can think of this was, you remember The Simple Life with Paris Yeah, Hilton? of course, and Nicole uh, Richie. Richie, yeah. yeah. I mean, now, you know, it's like, that was the forerunner of the Kardashians. Can you imagine, that's what, Remember what a phenomenon that was? That was, mm-hmm. what, 18 years ago? Yeah, I remember. That was almost like the start of that genre of People could be famous for yeah. having no talent or no, exactly. they weren't famous. Yes, yes. And now it's like everybody yes. gets their 15 minutes. But back then it was like, the criticism was like, why would anybody watch her? What has she right. done? It's like, well, look at the Kardashians. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not about the TV show. Yeah. That's just a base. It's about yeah. the social media and the, and the, inf- the fact that they can get $300,000 for sending out one post on Instagram right. like the, during the fire Festival. It's like, yeah. right. the world has changed. Yeah, man, for sure. Uh, and then you eventually left all that and you started your own thing with 2C Media w- with your wife. Um, and, and you kind of picked up on that. You started... You continued the development of, of show ideas and, and, and pitching them to the networks. Like, what was the ratio like, I wonder, for, for your development team to come up with ideas, concepts, pitch it, and then, you know, this would, Swamp Wars would get picked up. How many concepts didn't get picked up, you know? Uh, how does, you know, oh, that must, it, it's pretty, it's, it's probably pretty competitive in that. Oh, yeah, I would you imagine. strike out, I mean, you strike out, uh, if you're at bat 27, uh, for 27 innings and you hit one, um, you get even on the even on base. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's impressive. I mean, in our world, the number that is thrown. I thought I heard a very interesting number from mm-hmm. a this guy, the guy who uh, he was telling the story of how he uh, scout productions when they pitched Queer Eye, mm-hmm. 
And he said at this point, he was describing like we take out, he said, we take out 70 pitches a year that we flush out. And then maybe out of those, we get 15 where there's a, so, you know, 20%, 15% um, where there's a kind of, you may, you may get a development deal, which is let's flush it out, maybe put something a little on tape. You generally these days have to walk in mm-hmm. with pretty flushed out. You can't sell paper anymore unless you're a big name. You have to tape. Mm-hmm. And then out, out of those 70, maybe you'll get four, three or four like presentation pilots, which may be a pi- presentation used to be a, like a stripped down pilot. Basically now it means we're, we're going to expect a pilot, but we're, it'll be but we, we want it for the uh, price of presentation. Mm-hmm. And maybe out of that, you get two series to air, and that mm-hmm. takes 18 months. So for us, I think our ratio might have been, at the height of this, like mm-hmm. 10 to 15 to 1. But it's gotten a lot harder to sell because it's a lot harder to break out. And the, the networks, you know, uh, they don't control the world anymore. The gatekeepers are not just the broadcasting cables. There's the, the OTT. So, mm-hmm. yeah, 10 to 1, 15 to 1, that was our batting average. And if it just takes one, and if, even if – the shows we created were good second and third base. We never created a home run hit. Um, but what you know, do you consider a home run hit? Uh, a home run hit is where it becomes part of the cultural literacy. It becomes part of the conversation. It become it, they can be a, a franchise, like you said, Housewives that they go on for years and years. Our two two of our most successful series went tw- uh, three seasons, twenty six episodes, and you know they were they were successful. Which one were those? Uh, Airport twenty four seven Miami Swamp Wars. You know, it was a different time. So, but these days, I mean, you know, you even look at like shows on, on the Netflix is like, it's becoming like the, the OTTs only average like two or three seasons and maybe 10 episodes right. a piece. Right. But it used to be like, you know, broadcasting cable an average hit last seven to eight years. And then right. you had shows like, I mean, the, the longest running show on television right now, mm-hmm. entertainment. What is it? It's the Simpsons. It's 30 years now. Mm. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. Yeah. 30 years and wow. the longest running. And the fact that Survivor is in... You know, it's 19 years ago, but it's 30 seasons. That's an wow. incredible 30 because they do it twice a year. That's right. an incredible amount of cycles. Right. Uh, the run. Yeah. For a franchise. And it's not and when Survivor was on the air in that first iteration, those first two seasons, I went to work at CBS for the third. Uh, that was all people talked about that summer. That that show attracted on its finale like 40 or 50, 60 million viewers. Wow. And yeah. now, if you look at the fall season, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that show was, I mean, I don't remember what the demo was like, but it's like, if you look at how much television has changed, is like that show probably does, I think, maybe six or seven million viewers versus 50 or 60. Wow. Yeah. Still profitable, still, still, yeah. a, still sure. a history. But here's the number that's shocking about how much it's changed. In the opening season of the fall season, right, mm-hmm. there's 500 scripted shows on network television. I mean, mm-hmm. on all of streaming network cable broadcast mm-hmm. this year this fall season out of 46 network shows only 20 mm-hmm. crack a one rating in the 18 to 49 demo same day that means shows a one rating you know five ten years mm-hmm. ago mm-hmm. you'd be canceled before you even go on the air right. and the top show on television the top show mm-hmm. every week regardless bar none is Sunday Night football mm-hmm. that does 17 million viewers mm-hmm. the top entertainment show believe it or not terrible demos old that in same day viewing ncis mm. that's been on forever franchise no buzz that's like 10 11 million viewers that is a 10 million viewers in a country of 300 right. i mean think about just how much when right. i was at, and when i was at nbc it's like er was 
just a regular episode of ER and Friends was 27, 28 million viewers. That's how much it's changed. Times be changing, man. Times be changing. It's it's everywhere now. Streaming, uh, like like we talked about earlier, YouTube. You know, what was it? I think Time Magazine's person of the year a few years back was you because it's YouTube, Mm -hmm. right? You can make your own content relatively easy. We have these cell phones now and it's HD and you can go and film stuff and put it up and and people love that stuff. And a lot of, you know, Generation X, even like, you know, um, my generation, you know, we're we don't even ha- watch cable anymore. We just watch the OTTs. We watch the Apple TVs and the, you know, whatever that is. So it's taken away from, from that. And it's changing, right? The, 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 the traditional broadcast kind of experience. And what do people like us do? We have to adapt along the way. We have to find a way to service that part of the business now. How do you guys do that, for example? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean the reality is I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> I right. mean, I, have I figured it out? I mean, no. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, I believe we've adapted over the years. You know, it was only 15 years ago this month was the very first series you could ever download to an iPod, which was Grey's Anatomy and Desperate Housewives. Mm. And every time they would add a new series, it'd be like front page news. Like, right. how we're adapting is, you know... Um, is the type of content you have to produce to market is not just, it's not about the 30 second spot anymore. It's probably more about, it's that digital piece. It's that mm-hmm. very multiple, you have to produce 10 times the assets even more than you used to. And what is that, what are the, what is the piece that's going to be different to engage on Instagram, different on Facebook? Because the on-air promo inventory, there's less of it. You're probably skipping through it. Right. Um, half the time it's not on the OTT when it's being repeated. So right. you've got to find every possible iteration in which to reach people. No, and, and, and the other thing, too, is when I'm looking, when I watch Netflix shows or I go on you know, Amazon Prime, even there, you know, it seems like the quality is just amazing. It's super theatrical, everything. It's, it's high-budgeted feels, you know. It's, and I don't know the numbers exactly either, but if I'm looking at it, the average Netflix show, for example, and I look at the average Nat Geo or Animal Planet or TLC show, there's a big difference in quality there. Well, I'd say yes and no. I mean, when um, Netflix first launched, it was like everything had this imperator, like HBO being super premium. So, look, it's true. The second or third most expensive show on television in history, I mean, Game of Thrones is the most. And mm-hmm. I think the second is, uh, what is it, The Crown, which I think is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Amazon is going to have Lord of the Rings, I think, in 2020 or 2021. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what is this? They're spending $18 million an episode. But, you know, so that's what Netflix originally stood for. Mm-hmm. But because um, they had very few original series, like it was Game uh, uh, Kevin Spacey. Uh, oh, House of Cards. House of Cards. And then there was Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. And they only had a few series. And so every time there was a series, it was like it was special. For them to survive, now they're producing things at, it's like Walmart. Yes, there is still a show like Ryan Murphy. I saw it the other night. It was amazing, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Politician yet nailed it, which looks like it's produced for less than a show on Food Network. Right. Has a huge audience. But right. then they produce, there's just such a mass of just so much that you don't know if you're getting premium. You're just getting, it, they become like the everything store. For instance, HBO still stands for, for the most part, an HBO series is going to still have that brand pedigree of it's going to be elevated or premium or special it's going to take some risks i think next month is when we're going to really start seeing what's been talked about for years like yes 
the, the typical TV inter, uh, ecosystem is changing. Mm -hmm. Some would say crumbling. I mean, DirecTV lost a million subscribers in a quarter, last quarter. Wow. You know, at the peak five year, four years ago, 90% um, of the households had uh, cable, DirecTV. Mm -hmm. We're now around 80 in five years. You mm -hmm. can imagine how precipitously that's falling. Yeah. So, uh, and then what starts next month is, you know, Apple and then Disney launched the same within a week of each other in November. And then early next year, NBC's version, mm -hmm. Peacock, and then mm -hmm. Time Warner. And that's where those corporations are investing. They're de-investing mm -hmm. in the actual networks and over-investing mm -hmm. in the new services and new platforms because they want to kill. Um, they're not going to necessarily going to kill, mm -hmm. but they want to kill Netflix. Mm. It's a... And, and Netflix is judged by, it's like Tesla, they're judged by a different model. You know, they haven't, they spend hmm. a company that only five years ago, six years ago, the first, yeah, six years ago was Game of Cards, House, House of, of Cards. Cards. Mm -hmm. And that was their only original right. series. And they got it because they basically, no pilot commitment, they agreed it's like $100 million, we're going to do uh, two seasons. Mm -hmm. Everybody thought Kevin Spacey and the production company producers were crazy. Mm -hmm. Only six years ago, they put their own original series. And now mm -hmm. Netflix spends... 15 to 16 billion dollars on content they're the third largest uh spent right. in spender on of content in the world and it didn't exist as no, a original right. content that's Just, that's exponential change and now yeah. uh, it, yeah. you know disney uh, you know they i think disney's number one comcast number two and cbs yeah. viacom are number four so right. it's really that's shocking that this company was six right. years ago was only known for DVDs and a right. mailer. Right. It's oh, just that's so right. changed. I forgot about that. You could get that in the mail and then mail it back. And that changed quickly. Totally. Yeah. yeah totally changed. Quickly. And it's like, but they don't, you know, the, but the amount of debt that, you know, uh, Netflix is, yeah. uh, you know, broadcast networks and media companies, uh, traditional ones still have to show, you know, to the, to the street, certain amounts of margins and right. earnings. And, um, you know, price to earning sure. performance where, and that's the tough thing. There's a guy, the most outspoken guy about this, who's kind of the, the genius of television, this guy named, uh, I believe John Langraff at mm -hmm. a, who runs FX, but who coined the term peak TV. But he's like, we're little FX. We're, we're backed by Fox. It's like, how do I compete with this, this Netflix machine where I've, you know, I'm, my programming budget may be mm -hmm. only a billion a year. Mm -hmm. How do I compete with this monster? Right. And by the way, here's what a big difference in the change you know, Fox and Rupert Murdoch were the original disruptors. Mm -hmm. They were truly the first. They were, they had Sky, Star, mm -hmm. 20th television, 20th century films. They came to the conclusion, a gigantic Fox, that in this new world against all these streamers, they didn't think they could compete. And so that's why 90% of that empire was sold to Disney. That is unimaginable wow. a yeah. few years ago because if, when they think they, when, they, when Fox, one of the right. big six, and the one who's the most aggressive and probably the most disruptive, I mean, they mm -hmm. really were, says, you know what, mm -hmm. in this new age, we, have, we don't have enough scale to compete with that and then the other things coming. And that's, Netflix is what drove that mm -hmm. acquisition and consolidation. Um, Netflix has changed our world more than anyone. Oh, for sure. Do you think the other big networks will follow suit with that and look at their own ways of merging with different OTT platforms and thinking, hey, I can't, we can't scale this either. Well, I think that's what happened. I think AT&T determined that, you know, we're selling phones and Verizon's kicking our ass, you know, so they're like, <clears throat> we've got to own content. So that, that drove AT&T, DirecTV, and all Warner Studios together. And then NBC, Comcast, 
Well, the little dirty secret there is they just purchased, you know, they try, obviously they tried to buy Fox. They didn't get it. What they did get was they got Sky. Mm-hmm. And I used to work at Sky. Mm-hmm. And Sky is like the European, British version. That you, you're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. But the real special, what the real value there was, is Sky was the one kind of mainstream company that figured out how to do its own OTT that was that compete with Netflix. So they got that entire platform, that entire playbook. Um, and and out of that acquisition, so they so that allows right. them to create Peacock, which is going to be which is going to be very different. It is going to be very very different than all the other ones, and that's the one that launches in early April. Right. And right. but that that Netflix kind of has forced all these companies to kind of merge yeah. and consolidate. Yeah. For sure, Netflix done it to us, man. I, you know, and I, my, I always joke to my son. It's like he's always like watching Netflix, and I'm, and he, even if it's a show that's on Cartoon Network, he's watching Netflix. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, son, look, <laughs> would you quit watching that because YouTube and Netflix aren't paying for your college? They're going to hurt your college education. Can you watch? Uh, right, right. Can you watch? Can you go watch good old Nickelodeon or Hulu? Yeah. So, look, I come out of a traditional media background, and mm-hmm. I've had to learn to adapt to the reality, and it is. Mm-hmm. It has changed uh, dramatically. Cable used to, five years ago was a license to print money. The margins in cable were like 50%. It has plummeted. Mm-hmm. But by the way, what do you think the margins are in Netflix? It loses insane amounts of money because it's ju- judged on its future performance. Like Amazon, right. it took 20 years for them right. to turn a profit. Right. So that's hard to compete with. What, what do you think the advertisers are going to do? You know, when... Less, like you said, the numbers used to be so much higher back then for traditional broadcasts, and they've been declining... That means lesser, pe- fewer people are watching the shows. Meaning, for the advertisers, it's not as exciting. Well, I think it's it's ironic is that uh, you know advertisers and uh, you know everybody's ratings have been falling for years, right? I mean, mm-hmm. when there was only three networks, um, you know, shows that were the the bottom rated show of the back in when I was working in the business, that would be a, considered a hit now. So, mm-hmm. but ironically, it's supply and demand. As there are fewer rating points out there. The networks have been able to actually charge more money. So it's like, I'm going to deliver you fewer viewers, but I'm still the most efficient and I can charge more for my CPM, my cost per thousand. Now you're asking like, what's the future when everybody, all the new services are like not advertised supported, like Amazon and Netflix are subscription. Right. Well, that's where I think the genius of what NBC does. They say, if you want to know what it's going to look like, imagine the kind of advertising YouTube, pre-rolls, small ad loads, very hyper-targeted. But with instead of just five minute videos, cat videos or pootie pie, mm-hmm. um, it's going to have all the, the content from the NBC Universal Library. And so advertisers, that is a unique thing they can say is we're the place now that's really advertiser friendly. And that service is going to be free. It's going to be so different than the others. And I think that one's going to be really intriguing to watch. We're not going to see the, the, the results or consequences to right away you know imagine what's going to be five ten years done and and how what impact that will have had i mean we don't know today we can just speculate and try it's to an be- episode of black mirror right <laughs> it's probably pretty scary <laughs> well and and it's about adapting and and and, and seeing opportunities in this well know? i mean look i'm sitting here in a company called Brandstar, and i'm thinking to myself <laughs> this I'm totally blown away and impressed um by this place and by what you do but in a sense you know you guys I think are in the vanguard is because you're not offering, you're integrating content, advertising into content that's actually good, watchable content. And then you're thinking about how do we leverage those brands and those Mm -hmm. contents into other things, whether, you know, it's about, as you described, brand incubation, social Mm -hmm. media campaigns. And so you're figuring out a way to offer a full solution that is kind of DVR proof. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of like, uh, 
you know, people are not watching commercial anymore, but they are watching content. And, and, sure. uh, yeah. and so I think that's, uh, you know, when I look around at like what the future is, I look around right out, step right outside your door, walk around the studio and going, wow, this, mm-hmm. these guys, uh, have a real, I, I had no idea when I walked here, just right. like what a sense you guys have had where it's going. Well, thank you. And, and again, like, like you said, we don't have the answers either, but what, what I know is that is, is something that has held true for as long as humans have been around and that's emotion and stories and the interest in that, you know, and, and, and the connection that you can have with empathy or relatability or whatever that case may be. And as long as I think you have that as a foundation of whatever it is you do, um, and, and find the way to integrate product services that make sense and that flow into that story, then, you know, that, that could be really, that could be a good, good mix. You know? I think so. Yeah. Well, store, by the way, you, you nailed it. No matter what, no matter what platforms, story, stories matter. Yeah. Everybody still wants to tell me a story. And whether it's five minutes, three minutes produced on an iPhone 11 or whether it's right. produced on a 11 million dollar budget um mm-hmm. it still comes down to that story and that i don't think that'll ever that will that'll never change it just becomes harder and harder because the audience is more jaded mm-hmm. they've seen everything mm-hmm. and so now you see the boundaries just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and that's mm-hmm. um you know it's uh there was a line they used to call they used to say when shows would get picked up they called the least objectionable premise like what is basically going to have the broadest appeal and mm-hmm offend the least amount of people and probably just be average enough. Right. Average is not yeah. great is not great enough. Now you yeah. have to really stand out. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, you're, you're just dead. I mean, I want to know from you, like, where do you see television um, in, let's say a decade from, from today in 2030? Uh, what, what kind of conversations would, would we have then? I think there's going to be more change in television in the next uh, five years than there is in the last 50. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can already see that. Um, um, but I still I think we're starting to get a real feel. It's not, you know, obviously it's not just television. It's 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 screen agnostic. So television's almost a, I don't even know what the word is, because mm-hmm. television is almost derided as that's like saying, uh, I want you watch TV, <laughs> even though it's a golden age of TV. Yeah. It's like a rotary phone. It's like a rotary phone. Mm-hmm. Right. Or it's like, you know, when you said, you just said it, it's like, I'm almost embarrassed to say I have direct TV or cable. Right. Um, but I, w- what I do think uh, will be different is a lot of the brands that we've come to know, whether that's TBS or TNT or NBC, or mm-hmm. they're going to be there, but they're going to be much more diminished in terms of, um, you know, in pretty much every metric, the real investment is going into HBO Max, the new streaming service. They're going to invest less than TBS and TNT. Mm-hmm. TNT is going to still have to be on your cable system because it's the place to get some NBA games. Right. Live sports always matters. Sure. And then you're going to put some scripted work on TBS. So TBS still has some relevance, but the real spend is going to be, and the real viewing and the real hearth is going to be, there's going to be a lot more of these Netflixes and Hulus, Mm -hmm. and that's, um, and there's going to be fewer companies. There's going to be these fewer gatekeeper companies like CBS and Viacom are merging, but, you know, somebody's going to come along and swallow Mm -hmm. that whole thing. So Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be a, um, I think what we're going to see in the next year, though, is going to give a pretty good roadmap of of where most of your viewing. Um, And by the same token, as we all learned, as AOL was huge in 2000, and mm-hmm. remember Yahoo? Mm-hmm. This business eats its young and cannibalizes itself. So it's not far-fetched to believe that one of these 
if people can only afford, forget your time, but just three paying for three services, some of these won't work. Some of these won't mm-hmm. survive. Maybe they fail. I mean, nobody would have thought AOL would have failed. Right. And Yahoo, I'm not saying Netflix is going to fail, right. but you know, not all of them are going to succeed and last. So, um, and then somebody's going to come off we, in our lifetime, I believe, and within the next 10 years, somebody's going to come around like cable was disruptive. Somebody's going to come around and disrupt Netflix. And you know who I think is going to disrupt? Who's going to disrupt Netflix? Oh. The traditional media. Hmm. Disney. It's like the empire strikes back. <laughs> and that, I think, is we're going to see. That is a, that's going to be, that's fascinating to watch, just like in the airline business. Like, right. Remember, it was like, oh, the original airlines are going to die. It's going to be the JetBlues and Southwest. Well, guess what? The, the, the old mm-hmm. school airlines that adapted and reinvented their model, mm-hmm. they're stronger than ever. Right. And I think that's going to happen. Um, I don't think, uh, nobody says that Netflix lives for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Well, we shall see, and, and maybe we'll invite you back in 10 years, and we'll, we'll see where we're at then. Well, I th- I've been talking for 10 years. Clearly, I have no sense of being concise or having any brevity. There's a lot to say. So I apologize that this podcast, you're going to have to do a lot of editing. <laughs> no, not at Just all. Just control all, delete. That's the editing, and put the, drag it in the trash. <laughs> Chris, awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming. Really appreciate it. Oh, no, time. it was fun, man. Awesome. You, were a, you were a blast. I'm Thank really you. glad to finally come up here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.